You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Thank you so much for having me. I don't take this for granted at all. Okay, so I really appreciate you having me. So now I'm going to have you stand again. And you can remember me as that person that made you sit and stand again. Okay? Um, I'm just going to say a quick prayer before we go into this. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy, O oh Lord. We thank you for your love and we thank you, O oh Lord, for your peace that passes on understanding, O oh God. Heavenly Father, I stand here before you and I stand as a vessel, as a conduit, O oh God. Heavenly Father, I ask that you use me to touch the lives of the people who are in this congregation, O oh God. Heavenly Father, I ask that your glory will be manifested in this place. Father, I ask that you have more of you and none of me, O oh God. I pray that the words that come out from my mouth today will be planted as seeds in the hearts and in the minds of the people who are here, O oh Lord, and they will germinate and bring forth beautiful fruits and beautiful harvest, O oh Lord, for the people in here, O oh God. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Father, take glory. Jehovah be praised. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And the beautiful people said? Amen. Okay, now you can be seated again. All right, so I'm just going to give a brief introduction. Um, my name is Adora Ambelu. I am a bright light, purpose driver, and dream interpreter. So basically, that's dream interpreter, right? But not the dreams that you have when you're sleeping. I feel like I need to say that because uh, myself and my business partner, we often say like we're dream interpreters and legit people send me DMs. I say, Adora, I had a dream last night. You know, this snake was chasing me and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, nah. Not those type of dreams. I help people discover their gifts, accept their gifts, and use their gifts. And I truly, honestly believe that this is what God has called me to do um, in this world. And I always say that everything else, Najara, right? Um, today, my topic is actually called Small Things. And the subtitle for this is Trust the Process. I feel like the subtitle should actually be the main title because I'm going to be talking more about trusting the process, but we'll call it small things, okay? So in this world where everything is about mega, we're like, <laughs> I heard that, mega churches, mega life, mega size, everything, mega cities, mega chicken, like somebody said, um, we often forget that these mega things are made up of many small things, right? So they are a combination of small things that lead to that big thing. And so today I want to talk about the importance of those small things, okay? Because without those small things, there's no big thing. So if, for instance, you said that if I asked you guys, right, um, if you need to lose weight or you need to uh, get fit or build muscle, what would you do? What would you do? Go to the gym, right? So going to the gym is actually a big thing. The weight loss, the muscle, whatever you want to get is a big thing, right? Going to the gym is your normal response, but that's actually a big thing. There's an even smaller thing. What's the smaller thing? The smaller thing is you have to decide that you want to maybe wake up earlier because you need to go to the gym, right? And that's even a big thing because the smaller thing is for me to wake up in the morning, I have to sleep early the night before, yes? And for me to sleep early the night before, I have to maybe finish up work early, which means I need to you know, get as much work as I can 
gets done. So there's so many small things that lead up to that big thing. But whenever we think about it, we just think about the big thing first. So it's small actions, small interactions, um, you know, small things. Today, I'm going to try not to be vague at all. I really, really, really want us to unpack this uh, purpose thing. You know, when Pastor Idris, PI, called me and said, Adora, you know, I want you to speak. It was quite interesting because uh, my book, like he mentioned, is called This Thing Called Purpose. And I can speak about purpose all the time, right? Because this is something I'm very familiar with. However, the Holy Spirit said to me, Adora, you know, you're going to speak about process. And in that moment, I really felt shaded. Like, I felt like God was putting me on the table that I'm on and telling me to shake it, right? Because I'm in process. You know how, like, you know, when you're called to speak somewhere, um, you can tell these testimonies about, I was once a small girl, then I became a big girl, hashtag small girl, big God. And once you tell that beautiful testimony, like anything you say after that, everybody just claps. Like, you just applaud because my testimony is so huge that anything goes, right? But I don't quite have that. I'm still a small girl aspiring to be a big girl. Um, so my hope today is that the Holy Spirit will validate my existence on this stage. Worst case scenario, PI, emergency services. I'll just start coughing and you just you know, whisk me away, okay? I have a very big God, though. He's always by my side. Very big God. Okay, so I'm gonna start with an equation. I want you guys to write this down. I know that this is, uh, um, we're millennials, and so you might want to type it down. But it's an equation that will guide this entire teaching today, okay? And it's very simple. It's purpose times process equals promise. I'm going to say that again. Purpose times process equals promise. And there's a second one, which is purpose times zero process equals zero. You may have known if you went to primary school or you didn't either way that anything you multiply by zero, right, gives you zero. And that's the thing about process. Process, uh, about purpose. Purpose requires a process that leads to the promise. Um, a lot of times we think that purpose is about us. So we are in a time where people tell you that what your purpose is what your, your purpose is your, nobody knows, your purpose is your why. That's what we often hear. Your purpose is your why. Why do you exist in this world? But one of the things that I've learned on my life's journey is that your purpose is not really your why alone. It is actually your who. Your purpose is your who will benefit as a result of my existence in this world. And it's beautiful because a lot of times we, we shy away from talking about this purpose thing because we feel like, you know, I can't find my purpose. Like, I don't know my why in this life, and we're chasing the why. But the truth is, as Christians, our why is pretty much sorted out. One, we're here to worship God. Two, we're here to use our gifts to be a blessing to other people. So your why is done. What you should actually be praying to God for is, God, who am I here for? Who do I exist for? Who did you call me to do work for in this life? So first of all, we're going to clarify this uh, promise thing because sometimes, you know, when we hear about promise, right, we're like, oh, God's promises for my life. Or you talk to someone and I say, oh, God's promises for your life. And it's easy to just like, you know, when you, when you, when you try to sign up on social media or anything and then they have this whole long legal framework and you just click agree. It's just easy to just be like, yeah, I agree to God's promises. Do you know what God's promises are for your life? 
let's, let's talk about some of the promises that God has made for, for us. So first one is God loves you unconditionally. Okay, Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So God loves you unconditionally. Another promise that God has for us is that you are redeemed and you have an eternal home in heaven. John 3.16 says what? You can say it with me. For God so loved the world, begotten Son, ah, so. but have everlasting life. God also tells us that he formed you with intention and he knows you intimately. So Psalm 139.14 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. You are God's masterpiece, fearfully and wonderfully made. So God formed you with intention, and he knows you intimately. Another promise that God has for our life is that God's plan is to prosper you and not to harm you. Okay, so Jeremiah 29, 11, we always say this, but do we know it? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, God's plan for your life includes hope and a prosperous future, one in which you thrive. Another promise God has is that you have special strength that is available through the power of Christ. Philippians 4.13 says what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Another promise God has is that God hears your prayers and he moves through them, right? So in John 14, 13 to 14, Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And it also says in Philippians 4, 6, 7, that do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a song that I really think is cool. It's called God's Promises. You can check it out when you leave here. I'm plugging for somebody I don't know. Um, it's by a guy named Ellis Paul. And I had a little bit of the lyrics because I want to share that with you even as we do this. We're unpacking this, okay? So we'll go to the scripture. But um, I want us to just go uh, step by step. The lyrics go, I didn't promise you skies painted blue, all colored flowers all your days through. I didn't promise you sun with no rain, joys without sorrows, peace without pain. All that I promise is strength for this day, rest for my worker and light on your way. I give you truth when you need it, my help from above, my undying friendship, my unfailing love. You see, God did not promise you that car, that watch, that hashtag Dubai trips. And that's the truth. God didn't promise you those things. Those are man-made promises. Those are things, that, and it's not that God doesn't say he doesn't want to prosper you. It's just that we're at a point where you have to make a decision that when you do chase the things that you are promising yourself, you tell yourself that, you know what, like that is man-made, that's human, that's from my mind, and that's okay as well, but not get upset when God doesn't give you those things in the way that you expect him to give them to you. There's some of you in here right now that are just like, I reject it in my name of Jesus, I reject it, it's not my portion, it's not my portion. That's all great, but you cannot change the word of God. So I want us to sort of understand that God's promises to us are, the standard, right? We're going to discuss p 
purpose, process, and promise using the story of Gideon. I really, really like this story. Whenever I talk about purpose, I usually talk about two people. I use the story of Joseph or I use the story of Moses. But the way I feel right now is like, you know, Joseph already has like 50 million followers because people are always talking about him. He's like a, an influencer guy, celebrity. Um, and so Gideon, I'm giving you a chance. Gideon, if you're in heaven right now, don't say I never did anything for you. Um, so we're gonna talk about Gideon today, okay? But I'm going to give you some context. We'll go to Judges 6, if you have your Bible or you have your app, which is a Bible too. That's okay. We're going to open Judges 6, um, 6, sorry, and I'm going to give some context, okay? So at this point, Israel is basically um, coming at a point of like relative ease. So things are working out for them. They are paying their bills. Their relationships are steady. Um, their social media following is growing. They feel like they are self-sufficient, that they don't need God because things are working out for them, right? And then, you know, in that moment, God is like, okay, I'm going to show you guys that you don't need me, right? I'm going to show you that you don't, I'm, I'm going to show you that you need me rather, you know, you're acting like you don't need me, but I'm going to show you that you need me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send your enemies against you, right? And so verse 1 says that the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian for seven years. One thing you need to know is that the Midianites, they were very powerful. They were scary, right? And what they would do is that they would, they would basically show up and they would, you know, try and steal as many crops as they possibly can, right? And the crops that they couldn't steal, they would burn it like it was that bad, you know what wickedness is? When you don't only steal, but you burn the ones that you cannot carry with you. That's how crazy it was. So verse 5 tells us that they would come in like locusts, ravaging the land. What they couldn't carry with them, they destroyed. The Bible also reports that it was so bad that many of the Israelites left their home to live in caves. And this went on for how long? Seven years. Seven years. So it took seven years for the Israelites to finally now cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help us. Why did it take seven years? How many times have you been in a situation where you know that you need God's help, but you're like, you know what? I have option one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So you keep using all your options and you don't talk to God about it. You just keep trying until you get to a point where mm, it's like all the options didn't work. Uh, God, can you now come into my situation? That's literally what the Israelites did. So let's talk about Gideon. Who was Gideon? Gideon was a judge over Israel. He's actually known to be one of the, not one of, he's actually known to be the best of the 15 judges, right? The greatest of the 15 judges. But we're going to unpack his story. He wasn't always the main guy. Gideon was a farmer. He was a farmer and... He didn't have any political ambitions. He didn't want to be king. He didn't even want to be a judge, none of that. Judges 6, 11 says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abijrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. You know what's interesting about that part is that normally when you're threshing wheat, you thresh it out in the open. You don't thresh it in a hidden compartment or hidden area. Why? Because you want the chaff to basically separate from the weeds. 
So you know how when you were a kid, and maybe some of you may not know because you look like Ajebotas, but you know when we're kids, when you're doing beans and you're picking it, you go out to the to the open, and then you go, and then it, you know the breeze blows the, the shaft out and everything. Um, so. I mean, technically, that's kind of how it works, right? But Gideon was in a cave, in a wine press, basically, um, threshing. And why was he doing this? That's just to establish to us that he was afraid. He was afraid of the Midianites because he knew that, you know, these guys show up, so let me just go and hide somewhere, right? So it's showing us there that the wine press doesn't only denote fear in terms of physical, it's not just the physical location, but it also denotes spiritual and emotional frustration. We're going to go to verse 12, where God saw a mighty warrior. God has a sense of humor. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You have to love God's sense of humor there. So this guy, right, who is afraid, trembling in this space, right, God says to him, you are a mighty warrior. I, I can just imagine his face in that moment. Like, who, 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 me, me, I'm a what? You know, he would have asked God like five times, I'm a what? I am a, I am a chicka chicka, you know? Um, I love this because, you know, one of the biggest lies that we often tell ourselves is that we need to be extra special, that God only uses special people. But we see in the Bible over and over again that God uses ordinary people and he makes them extraordinary. And this is very beautiful to watch here. You know, throughout my life, right, right from when I was a kid, I always, for those of you who have read my book or who are familiar with my story, I always said that, you know, I was going to become the United Nations Secretary General. And it was like my lifelong mission. So everything I did throughout my life, um, right from being a kid, was geared towards that. I mapped out this journey, right? I get into university and God says I need to move back to Nigeria. And I'm like, hey... You know, like, I'm done with uni and you're telling me to move back to Nigeria, but I'm going to UN, though, and I move back to Nigeria, right? I'm still wondering why I moved back to Nigeria, but I digress. Um, <laughs> I've been in Nigeria now 11 years, and it's quite interesting because, you know, God has taken me through this whole period where he has said to me, I told you you were going to be in the United Nations, and what I really was telling you is that you're going to unite a nation of bright lights, you're going to unite a nation of people who I have chosen for work in my kingdom. You're going to remind them when they feel weak that they have light and they carry light inside. And it's not, the title is not as fancy as United Nations Secretary General, but you will make do with what it is that I ask you to do because it is bigger than a place. So I want you to look at the person beside you and I want you to say, friend, you are bigger than any man-made titles. <laughs> friend, you are a mighty warrior. Say it with all your heart. Too. Don't say it because I asked you to say it. Okay, so let's go real quick. Um, 13, verse 13, we're talking about Gideon feeling like he was abandoned. So at this point, he says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and he has given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord, said unto him, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 15 says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So at this point, Gideon is just bitter with God. 
He's upset at the fact that God has not looked out for him and his people all this while. He also feels like he doesn't have the capacity to improve things. So he's like, I don't have the capacity to do this thing that you're asking me to do. And God is saying to him, I told you to just move. Go with what it is that you have. You know, a lot of times like we're afraid to start or to do anything or to move forward because we're like, I don't have this yet. If I have that, then I will be able to do this. If I have, you know, a good camera, then I'll be able to go and take photos. But right now, I don't really have a nice camera. If I have, you know, a good location, then I'll start my YouTube vlog. And we just keep going on and on. But, you know, God is saying, use what you have right now. It's, it's quite interesting because the next verse sort of leads us into where Gideon now has a proper conversation with God. But you know how like sometimes you're on like Instagram, right? And somebody posts and says, God, thank you so much for your amazing work in my life. This has been a beautiful year. And then you just go and you want to be like, me too. But then you're like, I can't really lie. So just put prayer hand emoji. <laughs> you know that moment? You're like, well done, sir. Prayer hand. Because you know, I'm not really sure that this thing that you said is working for me. It's quite interesting. Let's go into uh, 16 real quick. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and his broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and your living bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire fled from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord. He exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But then the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, the Lord is peace. So at this point, right, Gideon's faith is still private. Like, things are happening with him. You know, he's, he's, he's starting to really understand and see God, but he's still, you know, in his own space. So you know those moments where you're in the process of things, and God is working on you. But he's working on you in private. And there's a part of you that's like, God, work on me in public too now. You know, but you know that something is happening. You can't quite articulate it. You can't quite explain it to other people. But you know there's a feeling. There's an understanding. You can see certain signs, you know. So you go somewhere um, sometimes, and, you know, this happens for a lot of people. And God says, you know what, I want you to do this good deed. And you do it, and you want to tell your friend that I just did this. But God is like, don't tell anybody. And you'll be itching for the rest of the week. Because as humans, we want to be like, oh, I did this, Right? And you're itching, but, you know, God has said to you, don't do this, don't tell this, don't, you know, and it's just so much is happening with you. So you're sort of more quiet than you normally would. That's kind of what is happening with Gideon here. So then we go into verse 25, where Gideon's faith now becomes public. So that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd. 
the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole behind, beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. At this point, you can see that Gideon is faithful, but he's still carrying a spirit of fear. God didn't tell him that he should do this. God is basically telling him, destroy all the idols, right, of your father and your community. But God didn't specifically say, do it in the night. But Gideon decides, you know, I'm going to do this in the night. Why am I doing it in the night? Because I, he's... Because he's afraid. And it says, in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. You see, the thing is, whenever God starts to work on us and he works on us in private, then he tells us to go out and be public with what it is that we're doing. What happens is that we begin to tear down the idols in our lives. And when you tear down the idols in your life, what happens? People will get offended. You can see how this whole thing happens in the night and in, in the morning, the people are offended. It's an abomination. Because what typically will happen is that your obedience will expose false beliefs. And a lot of times your obedience will make a lot of people around you insecure. A lot of times. So sometimes you see that you have to, you're sort of, God is sort of stripping you. He's stripping you and you're dying to self. And in that dying to self, not everybody's going to remain. The problem we have sometimes is we're trying to make sure that we still hold on to every single person in our lives. We're trying so hard, so you're still trying to be, uh, let me still be nice here, I, I'll still go and do this thing that I know that I'm not supposed to be doing, or you know, I don't know how this person is going to react to that. And so you're continuously trying to carry people in a season where you, you need to sort of leave the dead weight. And that's kind of what is happening with Gideon here. So Gideon is still hesitant. As we go to uh, verse 36, Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. This Gideon has liver. <laughs> the guy's testing God. He's like, <laughs> he's basically saying, you know what? I'll put a sheep's fleece on the ground tonight. And if in the morning the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, then I'm your guy. That's what he's saying. So God gives Gideon the sign. 38 says, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. So in verse 39, Gideon tries God again, right? Verse 39, Gideon says to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. Now, a part of me wants to say, wait, this guy is testing God. Another part of me is like, this guy smoked something, <laughs> right? He's still not convinced, and he's just going around in circles, right? So he's basically saying, you know, God, please don't be upset. I know you did your thing yesterday. I appreciate that, but we're going to try another thing today. Then I'll make a decision whether this is right. 
And so that night, God did so, verse 40. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with his dew. The interesting thing about all of this is that Gideon already knew what God was saying. He knew what God's will was. But what he needed was continuous reassurance. He needed a reassurance. So you know how sometimes we are in a space where we know clearly what God is saying to us, um, and maybe an opportunity shows up somewhere, and we just say, you know what, I need to pray about it. That I need to pray about it can either be an honest, I need to pray about it, or it could be a, coming from a place of fear, where you're continuously telling people, I need to pray about it. Something shows up, and you're like, I'll pray about it. And you never even really pray about it, Sha, but it's your way of continuously just sort of pushing it forward. Um, because you don't want to, to go. You're not ready or you don't feel prepared to go. So at this point now, uh, we can sort of see like there's a transition, right? So Gideon is now sort of excited, he's gingered because everything that he's asking God to, to do to show him, all the, all the signs he's asking for, they're starting to work. So he's saying, you know, I'm gingered, right? And in Judges 7, this is where God tells Gideon that he has too many men, right? So uh, early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My, my own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So by the time God is done thinning out um, Gideon's army, Gideon has about 300 men left. So remember what I said before, God will separate us from people who we think are with us, but actually aren't. And a lot of times, God just wants us to trust in him alone. So he's saying to you, it's not about the number of people. You know, I remember like, there was a point in my life where, you know, we were getting a lot of work in the business that we were running, and my thought process was, oh, increase the number of staff. Higher, 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 higher. We were hiring left and right you know, and it's like, I thought that that was the way to go, you know, that, I mean, when you read business books and everything, you scale, especially in, in, in Lagos, when you go to a lot of events, they'll ask you, oh, yeah, so, so do you want to scale up? And then you're like, young entrepreneur, you're like, yes, I'm scaling up. So, <laughs> so you know, we, 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 we started to try and scale, you know, and we got to a point in our, in our, on our journey where God says, you know, what, Holy Spirit leads um, us to say, strip, as in reduce, and as a business owner, nobody wants to do that. Things were going good, by the way. So, you know, most times when you hear uh, reduce the number of people, it's usually, oh, things are bad, and that's why you're letting go. But this is God saying, I need you to sort of, this thing that you're building, it's not about this number of people. It's not about this plenty army that you're trying to, to build. I want to show you what I can do in this Right? It's not by your power, it's not by, by your might, it's by my spirit, and so believe and trust in me. And it's kind of interesting. So Gideon now 
is still, it, when you go into verse 9, it basically says, you know, Gideon is still not convinced. So verse 13 says, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So a little bit of context here is that God is basically telling Gideon to sneak down to the enemy camp, right, and see what they were saying. So this um, entire text is basically somebody in the camp having this conversation, and then Gideon overhearing hearing this conversation and then now feeling more convinced, because at this point it's like, you've heard the gist now, the gist is that you're going to win elections, so your ginger is even more increased, right? It's interesting because the rest of this chapter, moving into chapter 8, basically now tells us a whole story of victory. Gideon and his army, they were already victorious because God has given them victory. God had already given them victory. And all God needed was for obedience to walk towards that victory that he had already ordained there was a purpose, there was a promise, and there was a process in this entire story. A lot of times when we hear about Gideon, um, we skip to the fact that he was a judge. He was the greatest judge of the 15 judges. We skip the entire process. But we can see by reading this scripture that there was a purpose, there was a process and there was a promise. What was the purpose? The purpose was to liberate Israel from Midianite oppression. It was very straightforward. Remember what I said about your purpose being your who? It wasn't about Gideon himself. His purpose was not about him himself. His purpose was to liberate Israel from the Midianite oppression. The process was breaking, crushing, molding, and that was basically removing his former beliefs, removing and shifting his mindset. And a lot of times, like, when we are moving in this life of purpose and love of God and talking about, oh, we are people of the kingdom and all of that, it requires a lot of stripping the layers that we're carrying. It requires a shift of the mindsets that we have, which comes from a lot of the programming that we experience, whether on a cultural level and even on a religious level. It requires a stripping, and a lot of us don't want to go through that. We want to skip the process part. Could it work? You can't skip the process part. So I'm going to talk about a few of the lessons that we can learn from this Gideon story. The first one is that you don't have to be special to do something special. The Bible doesn't say that Gideon had any special abilities. The Bible only introduces Gideon as a farmer, and that was the only qualification that he needed for this role that God wanted to give him. It doesn't say Gideon was a farmer who also knew how to use Photoshop, who also knew how to speak, you know, it doesn't say any of those things. In fact, the Bible actually paints him through that story as timid, as frustrated, right, fearful, 
So you don't have to be special to do something special. Another lesson that we can learn from this is that just because you have questions doesn't mean you're dis disobedient. We're in an era where we don't like to ask questions. We don't like to ask questions just in general. Forget, okay, so God aside, we don't like to ask questions because it makes us look a certain way, it makes you look stupid or uninformed or whatever, right? so you don't ask questions. But when it comes to God, we don't even like to ask questions because we believe that it is disobedient to ask God for questions, to ask God any questions. And we have this, here I am, send me, and that's great. But if you look at the Bible, there were so many questions. Abraham said, how will I father a nation when I have no son? Moses said, you want me to go and talk to Pharaoh and do all this stuff, but I, I don't even know how to speak. In Mary's case, Mary was like, I'm supposed to have a child and I'm a virgin. Even Jesus Christ on the cross said what? Eloi, Eloi, lamak sabachthani, which is, my Lord, my Lord, why has thou forsaken me? God, Jesus asked questions. Like Adora now, Adora is asking questions. When God is like, oh, you know, I want you to go and preach to nations, Adora is like, yeah, with my hair like this. I'm, yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> you, you got to ask questions, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The third one is that you can grow from doubt to faith. Doubt is simply, I'm not 100% sure, but you know what? I will trust God anyway. Like, I'm not sure. So I'm not sure that I will get that job, but I'll apply anyway. How many times have you been there looking at a job opportunity? Um, and it may not even be like a full-time job, but you just see something that comes up and you're like, this opportunity will be great. But you never really apply because you're just not sure whether you get it. How are you going to know if you'll get it if you don't apply? And some of you, you are in relationships that are not working and you're like, you know what, I don't think therapy will work. How will you know that therapy will not work if you did not go to therapy? How? You don't know. Or you're someone who God has given a gift to speak to so many people and you're like, mm, I don't think people will listen to me. You don't know, you haven't tried. So you can grow from that doubt to faith. And the last one is that you give God the credit always. The later part of this passage, right, what you will see is that Israel, because they were so excited about the amazing work that Gideon had done, right, they wanted to make Gideon the king over Israel. And it was a beautiful offer, because at this point, Gideon is like, ah, farmer to king. Who's not going to take farmer to king? Don't lie. But Gideon says, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. God wants you to give him credit always. God, all God needs from you, he's not asking for a lot. All he needs from you is blind faith. Starting with the small things, the small instructions, the small circles, the small actions, the small interactions, small, small, small. You want to film your own show, no problem. Take your phone, stand in front of your phone, film, put it on Instagram. You want to write a book, start sharing with your social media community. Sometimes people reach out to me and they're like, oh, you know, I've been thinking about writing a book and you wrote a book and, and then I go on their social media because they've sent me a message through social media and I go on there and they've not posted, like there's nothing that tells me that you 
have any interest in writing. Why? Because you're waiting to write that big book. You can start small. So you want to minister to people again. It's beautiful because I know that, and I know and believe that, you know, God knew that not everybody can stand on a physical stage. Like, not, not everyone's going to get the opportunity to stand on a physical stage. And so God used people to create digital platforms that allow you to amplify your message. So start ministering. You want to start an NGO? Volunteer with an organization. And for some of you, maybe your work is even like offline. You know, and you're like, oh, I want to be a worship. I want to like worship through my voice. I want to sing or something. But you're waiting till Falabi Noel leaves the church so that you can take Falabi's position, you know. And I'm not saying you switch churches, but there's an opportunity for you to go to Okoko Michael. Please don't say, where is that? Okoko. And go to a small church there and go and sing. But you're like, mm, you know, and maybe God wants to use you there. Maybe your who is there. Stop doing like this. But that's the truth. So the question is, what are you doing with the small opportunities that God is giving you versus waiting for the big thing, for the big hammer? Because this process thing eh, is about being present in the moment. It's about one step, second step, putting one leg in front of the other. That's really what it is. We all have big dreams. I have big dreams, massive visions, dreams things that I want to do in this life. We all do. But if you, get, if you allow that big dream to overwhelm where you are now and the things you need to do now, you're not going to do these things. And if you don't do these things, you're not, that big thing is, is a series of small things. So while you're young, you're energetic, you still have the small energy to do stuff here and there, you got to get it done. Do what you can with what you have. So God is basically just saying to us, do you trust me? That's what he's asking you. Do you trust me? He doesn't need you to understand what he's doing with your life. He's not asking you to understand the why. He's not even asking you to know the how. He's just asking you to know the who and the what. What is it that you want to do? What is it that I am meant to do, Lord? That's, you need to just start there. Leave the how am I going to do it, leave the why. We can see in this story of Gideon that Gideon didn't know the why. He didn't know. We can also see that he didn't know the how. God basically instructed his steps and took, took him towards where he, meant to, he was meant to go. But you have to release and detach from all the fears that you've that you have in your life that is not allowing you to, to move forward. So this purpose thing, like I said, it's about process, process, process. What was the equation again at the beginning? Purpose times process equals promise. So we've identified what God's promises are for us. We've identified God's purpose for us. I said it's what, twofold. One, to worship God. Two, to use your gifts to be a blessing to people. The process part is the part that we need to focus on. I want you guys to promise yourself that even as you leave here today, that you're going to focus on the process. And it's tough. 
It's not as easy as I, the reason we run away from the process is because it's easier to just see the victory. Who doesn't want to see that? It's easier for you to w wake up every day and just zoom into where you are going because it makes you happy. You're telling yourself, I can see the beautiful light at the end of the tunnel, so it's okay, I'm just gonna focus on that. It's easier. But the process, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot run away from that. So I'm gonna say a prayer, I want us to, is that music your way of reminding me to just get off stage? Is that how y'all do it in this church? P.I., really? Okay, so we're going to say a prayer. I want you guys to bow your heads in prayer. If you want to stand, you can stand. Lord, we thank you. We thank you because we know that you are the God of the impossible. You can do anything. And so we want to trust in your ability and not our own. Teach us, oh Lord, to see difficulties in our lives from your perspective, not our perspective, oh Lord. Help us to focus on you and focus on your power. We want to be like Gideon, who believed and who focused on you, even in the hard circumstances, oh God. Today I bring before you any difficulties in the lives that these people right here are going through. Okay, I want you to talk to God about any situation in your life that you're facing right now. Lord, help them not to fear, but to trust you in this situation, oh God. We declare that we have faith in your ability to fulfill your promises to us. We know that you will fight for us, oh God, and win the battles in our lives. You are mighty, you are powerful, you are righteous, and you are true, oh God. We have nothing to fear with you by our side. We will be strong and we will be courageous, oh God, even in the hard times. We will not be terrified or discouraged, O oh God, for we know that you will be with us wherever we go. You will never leave nor forsake us, O oh God. We do not need to figure everything out, O oh God, because we know that you already know the best plan for our lives. We will not try any man-made methods to do what only you can do. Show us, O oh God, when we don't know the why. We still choose to have faith in your ability to break through every obstacle in our lives. And just like Joshua, oh God, you will give us the land and every place where our feet step. Father, teach us, teach us, teach us, oh God, to trust the process. Even when we don't know where that process is leading us to, oh God. I want us to read Psalm 16. I don't know if that can come on the screen, but if not, Psalm 16, 5, 11, I want us to read that together. Lord, you have assigned me. Are we ready? Psalm 16, 5 to 11. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant. Let's read it together. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. Read it like you mean it. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I have set the, way, the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. 
You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand, in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I just also want to thank you, O God, for people in here, O Lord, that may feel that they have they've gone against you, O God. Father, the people who feel like there is shame in their hearts, O Lord, or there is guilt from anything, Father, I pray that you will meet them and you will show them that this is not about them, that you have redeemed them many years on the cross, O Lord, by sending your son, Jesus Christ, and that no shame can hold them, no fear, no guilt can hold them, O God, because you have paid that price for them. I pray, O God, that you will help them to really see you I pray, O oh God, that you will help them to see the hearts, O oh God, that you have for them and the love that you have for them, O oh God. I pray, O oh God, that you will strip them of any worries, any concerns that they may not be your child. Let them understand that simply by being birthed, you had a purpose for them. You have a mission for their lives. And so you are keeping them every single day because of that thing. And that these this shame and this guilt that they've been through, oh Lord, is only part of their process. It's only part of their story because when they come out to tell this story, oh Lord, they will see the beauty, oh Lord, in the brokenness. And you have traded, you have traded those ashes, oh Lord, and you've given them beauty. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, church. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.